Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. You know, before the pandemic hit, I was out in front of a lot of audiences. I spoke to a lot of organizations about the concerns they had, about the economy, about finding talent, everything else. But nobody ever told me they were concerned that a pandemic was going to shut them down in 2020 and that they were going to have to figure out a whole new strategic plan from what they had thought was going to be a base case. So now that's what they do have to do. They have a whole different future. And for leaders, they're putting together that new strategic plan with no visibility. It's really hard, obviously. And it's also hard to characterize what kind of situation this is. We can call it crisis leadership, but it's a weird crisis because there's also the reality that this is not a crisis, it's the new normal. So as we look for lessons on how to cope with this, it makes sense to look at other organizations and see what they've done during times of crisis, see if there's any lessons we can learn from that. That's why I was really taken by a piece written by Jeff McLean, who's our guest today. Now, Jeff's a consultant now, but before that, he was a Navy fighter pilot. And what he's finding is that a lot of what he learned in the military, a lot of the lessons there are directly applicable to what's going on right now. And that's what he's talking to leaders about. So I asked him to speak to us about that today. And I found that the interview was interesting, not just because of his thoughts, but because he has really directly actionable suggestions for people leading organizations. So it's a great discussion. Please stay with us. Well, keeping your team calm and focused is always difficult, but during a global pandemic, it is a special challenge. Our guest today has some thoughts on how to do that. Jeff McLean is a former Navy fighter pilot, now turned consultant at GH Smart. It's a consulting firm where he advises boards and CEOs. And what he's found is that some of the lessons from his first career are actually helpful in his second. He joins us now. Hi, Jeff. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. You're in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, is that correct? C- correct, yes. Let's talk about how you got there in that job. You're senior principal at GH Smart, right? But you had a different career first. Correct. Yeah. So I was a Navy pilot for many years. And um, my wife were from the same hometown here uh, near Milwaukee. And the long story or the short, the short story here is that I went into the Navy and was a pilot. My wife went into the Air Force and was an Air Force pilot. And so um, through most of our 11 years of marriage, we spent time apart, stationed at different bases and deploying in different ways. And so we thought once we started having children, we needed to uh, find kind of a more stable solution. So we um, moved back home, transitioned actually into the reserves. And so um, here we are. Well, how do you move from that kind of career where there's different challenges? You're perhaps moving more than people were moved as consultants or you just have different things. You know, how do you get from one place to another? Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's very interesting. So my transition out of the Navy, I was very fortunate to be selected as a White House fellow to, to serve um, in the White House for a year in this incredible uh, leadership development program, which brings um, about 15 leaders per year uh, to spend a year in the White House and learn about executive leadership from the highest levels, learn about the federal government um, and how things operate there. And while I was at the White House, I had the the great fortune to meet Jeff Smart, who is the founder of my 
current firm. Um, and as we spoke, uh, we shared a common passion for leadership. And, and Jeff's philosophy is essentially grounded in the fact that, you know, leadership is, is, the, is the best lever uh, in the world for, for good and for progress. And so we uh, shared that passion. And as I learned about the work and what his firm does, I realized it was a perfect fit for my you know, ambition in life and kind of tied deeply to my personal philosophy. And so um, uh, he brought me in and, and here we are. We advise uh, CEOs, investors, the leading, the leading uh, leaders of the business world um, on a lot of their challenges, leadership challenges. And so it allows me the opportunity to focus on amplifying you know, their impact through their leadership. And, um, and so that's what we do. When you say leadership, it kind of covers a lot of things. Pre-pandemic, what do you think are the big challenges people had when they were trying to be good leaders? Pre-pandemic, I think there were challenges of just really given the nature of the economy at the time, you know, uh, extended period of slower growth. Leaders were focused on where do we go from here, sort of what were the uncertainties in the market. But in general, their operations were pretty stable. There was a lot of, um, a lot of you know, dynamic uh, M&A activity. People were wondering sort of uh, could, could the market rally sustain itself, you know, the valuations of businesses. That's what I saw a lot of people focusing on. You know, we're, we've had this great run. Where do we go from here? Kind of focusing strategically on where to take the businesses. That was really the story you know, pre-pandemic. Yeah, you know, I talked to a lot of companies as well. And pre-pandemic, they were worried about lack of talent, um, potential recession, maybe. Did you see anybody who put in a scenario anything like what we're experiencing, like a, a really crazy slowdown, the black swan? Um, you know, it's interesting because sort of the most, um, the, leader, <laughs> the leaders with the most foresight and sort of the best, the best risk departments, the best they did was, start to take the growing pandemic seriously as it emerged um, in January. So, but I don't, I didn't see anyone that had predicted uh, or could have predicted what, what we're experiencing today. And, you know, at best people would say, we know we're in for a correction. We don't know what the cause of that correction is going to be. And so, you know, people were prepared uh, in some level for some correction in the market. No one uh, that I'm aware of, no one certainly that I work with was prepared for this type of uh, shock. So everybody got this shock. Uh, first off, before you know, they really got into the longer term. What were the most challenging things for companies? Um, it, so after the shock, the immediate was just really stabilizing in their mind the crisis response teams. So first action is. <laughs> We're experiencing something here uh, that is unprecedented. Um, what are the implications? How long is this going to last? What's the structure we need to do to keep our people safe and protect the business? And now we're into a kind of a different phase of it. Are there different challenges? Yes. So the, the challenges emerge um, as they start to become longer term. So, I mean, I, I think as everyone will recall, early in the Early in the crisis, um, you know, there are thoughts of, well, we might be out, work from home for a couple of weeks, but we'll likely be back. It'll be business as normal. You know, <laughs> the, the V-shaped recovery, we're going to shut things down for a bit, but then, you know, we'll be up and running um, again soon once this passes. Um, you know, the real, at some point, 
maybe later March, a few weeks into the crisis, people started to really, uh, it sunk in, okay, we're facing a long-term um, situation here. And, you know, the term new normal sort of was, was kind of commonplace. And people were saying, this is going to fundamentally shape the way we do business for many years. Um, and just that uncertainty of, of not knowing how long things were going to last. So I think the initial sort of response and triage was one thing, but then the realization of, goodness, we're going to have to deal with this um, for many months, if not years, uh, started to sink in. Can you give us any examples of that? You mentioned the V-shaped recovery. I remember that. It seems like so long, long right. ago. <laughs> As it sunk in, can you give us some examples without naming companies of what things have do- what things companies have done to cope? Um, for the longer term, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's really interesting. Uh, well, the, the first thing that comes to mind that I see sort of universally is the work from home strategy. And so um, whereas initially, you know, pr- certainly prior to the pandemic, I mean, many, many leaders I work with had a had sort of a, a different view of what it meant to work remotely. So, you know, they sort of assumed <laughs> if someone's working remotely, you know, maybe they're getting some work done, but productivity is not what they would expect if someone was in the office. They certainly wouldn't have um, allowed a significant portion of their office to work remotely. But universally, as these leaders themselves have had to work from home and they see the productivity, they see actually it's incredibly demanding because uh, you're always at work. Um, but but also as well, you know, if you can handle um, as you sort of sort out your life and your work life. Um, the productivity that's available and the connectivity that we have, um, the promise of working from home. I think I've universally seen leaders I work with come around to, you know, people working from home uh, presents a new paradigm for our business. Uh, our productivity is actually doing well, uh, surprisingly well with this sort of distributed workforce. Uh, what are the implications for how we run our business, for how, um, you know, we're organized? And as you said, you know, going into the pandemic, there was sort of a sense of shortage of talent. The uh, labor market was so tight um, with, you know, near full employment. Um, you know, people were geographically constrained. You know, maybe there's a business that's somewhere in a smaller city that, that had concerns about not being able to attract top talent. Now that you've got access to a, you know, huge geography of people, that really opens your window of of uh, how you can hire. So those are those are kind of the initial things. So the acceptance of work from home, really embracing work from home, and how that can um, create opportunity for a business, and then honestly changing their talent paradigm, uh, opening the the uh, aperture of of where your employees can physically be. That's such a huge thing because I think we're just getting our minds around this that you can hire from anywhere now, and maybe you can right. live anywhere. Right. Where do you see that going? I mean, that, that really is gigantic. It, it is. And honestly, to use my personal life example, as I mentioned, my wife and I grew up, it, we're, we're just north of the city of Milwaukee and our family's still here. And for us, we, we both chose jobs. This is pre-pandemic where we could work remotely because we knew we wanted our family to be uh, here. We wanted to raise our young children you know, near our families where we grew up. And so we found these remote work opportunities, which were which were incredible for us. Um, and I think you're seeing more uh, young professionals uh, and, and more established professionals as well, rethinking where do I need to be 
in order to have a fulfilling work life, contribute in the way that I need to have a great career, but also be able to live where I want to live. Let's see how that works out. I want to talk about a piece you wrote for Wharton, the magazine on uh, lessons you learned as a pilot that you can apply to leadership. And you said there's four of them. Right. Well, you know, first, (laughs) kind of the genesis of this piece was as I was speaking with business leaders and seeing how they were uh, struggling a bit with the realities of the the pandemic and what this was going to mean for the long term. It, it dawned on me, you know, this is a very similar situation that I faced and my, my friends and colleagues faced uh, at the start of some of our deployment. And sort of the similarities were um, you're in isolated living environments. So, you know, the entire workforce now confined to their homes. You work, you live, you sleep in the same building, in the same rooms. Right. Uh, and that's very much similar to my experience being on an aircraft carrier. Um, you're never very far from your work. You, you live where you work. Um, the second was just uncertain dynamic situations. So, you know, clearly on the carrier, it was uh, combat operations. And um, but in the but in the business world, it was people weren't sure what the future was going to hold. The economy was being disrupted. Um, the severity of the situation was really just sort of being understood, and and honestly, the personal risks uh, as well of uh, of the pandemic. And then the third was the unknown duration. So just when will this end? <laughs> you know, wh- where is the light at the end of the tunnel? And those three things that I saw, you know, universally leaders struggling with. I thought, you know, this is exactly what what I faced uh, going into some of these deployments, and so. I thought I would share some of the lessons that I learned that helped me get through that in a very good way and uh, apply those to the business world. And so those four, the four points in terms of how to lead teams through this, keep them calm and focused were, number one, just communicate regularly and really communicate more than you ever have before. Second, be transparent. Third, reinforce the values and the guiding principles of the organization. And then fourth, is don't forget to listen. Let's take those one at one at a time because there's so much there. And I will put the article in the show notes too, so people will take a look Great. at the whole thing. Uh, communication is that done well generally in companies, even pre-pandemic? Um, simple answer is no. <laughs> you see it, you know. You see it. You know. I will say that it's very noticeable when it is done well. Communication. Um, Sometimes there are so many barriers to communication, and it's it's ironic that when people were in offices together, communication would struggle quite a bit in terms of, you know, you're seeing a lot of people every day, but you're not necessarily communicating clearly um, what the expectations are, what the priorities are, updating individuals on the situation of the business. And so w- what I advocate and what, it, what really helps, particularly during crises and then even more as people are distributed, is to have leaders set up a consistent and a rhythm of communication. And whether that's a weekly um, check-in, maybe it's daily during certain periods of crisis, um, but you can really, it gives the leader an opportunity to provide situation updates, um, deliver helpful guidance, set expectations of team members, and really, maybe most importantly, you can allay the unfounded fears that people have. And so what, what I think, um, everyone's experienced is that in the lack of information, uh, rumors start to swirl and within individuals' minds, just, you know, the the fears of the worst possible outcomes, given the uncertainty, 
uh, just sort of overwhelm people. You know, what will the implications be for my family? What's the implications for my job and my career here? Um, and, and the best way to directly address those is to have consistent, transparent communication uh, from the leader to the team. When you say transparency, and that's one of your points, what do you specifically mean about that? Transparency in this context means that the leader is direct and upfront. You acknowledge what you know, so you deliver the facts of the situation, you kind of give the situation update, but you also openly acknowledge what you don't know. <laughs> and that is that is something that can fall off quite a bit. As a leader, you want to present naturally that you know you you have the answers you know you're firm in your commitments um but at a time of crisis there's just so many unknowns and what the the fact is that teams don't expect that the leader will have all the answers it's just not a clear like nobody could have at the beginning of the covid pandemic assumed that their leader had this figured out you know uh, people know that people will cut slack to leaders there but they want honesty and transparency and they want information and they want to know that the leader's engaged, uh, listening to the right sources of information and coming up with a great plan that's going to keep the business safe, keep the employees safe. Um, and, and, you know, to return to a military example here, um, General Colin Powell um, used to instruct his intelligence officers. His, his guidance was, tell me what you know, then tell me what you don't know. And only then can you tell me what you think. And, you know, the, the strict order of that is brilliant because it's we have to deal in facts here. Let's not conflate, you know, my projections or the conjecture, um, you know, in this analysis. Tell me what I need to know and, and tell me what we're doing and then uh, we'll go from there. That's interesting because I think in a corporate context, we're not really encouraged to talk about what we don't know. Right. No, exactly. Um, I th And again, I, I think that that's something that as teams live and operate together through a crisis and they see this transparency, it's a great team building moment because you realize as a, as a worker, as an employee, that you're in this together with your leader and the leader that shows transparency um, will really earn that credibility and respect, which is going to just pay long-term dividends in terms of, you know, team cohesiveness. Um, one example here that, that uh, I think really paints this picture is, um, Carolyn Reedy was the longtime CEO of Simon and Schuster, and she's she was a, a close relative of mine actually. And she she unfortunately passed away in May um, from a heart condition. But um, you know, it, a, after she passed away, people from her office sent us a collection of emails that she had sent uh, in the months, you know, in the beginning of COVID and kind of in up up, up, up through May, and. She wrote these incredible daily memos uh, to the entire company. And as you start to read each one, you realize that this collection is just a treasure trove of incredible leadership that's on display uh, in this incredibly trying time. And what, what she's expressing is she, she starts with laying out the facts. She'll talk about uh, key guidance and directives, you know, giving people work to focus on. But she's incredibly authentic in sharing her own personal challenges in uh, in going, you know, transitioning to a remote workforce, uh, being overwhelmed with the number of meetings and the pace of meetings and, and all the overwhelm of Zoom that people are feeling. Uh, but she always finished in the last paragraphs with just sharing gratitude and appreciation for the employees and the teams and what they're going through. And so the, you know, the amazing leadership on display here is 
you know, being at the helm, being in control, acknowledging the challenges the team's going through, but also, you know, being a real human and and getting the company and the people through it as a team. And so that, you know, that type of communication, I mean, in, in her case, it just was another admiration that people had of her leadership. But, you know, for other leaders, uh, you know, keeping that transparency and that open communication going is really a way um, to drive productivity on the team, but also to, to really help keep people focused and engaged. That's a really nice story. Yeah. You know, you talk about um, leadership and you mentioned guiding principles as being part of this core values. That is maybe in the military, people know what the core values are. Do <laughs> right. we know that well enough in corporations? Is it communicated or do leaders even right. know what the core values are? There, There's clearly room for improvement on this. I do see many, many companies uh, defining and leading with core values. And it's, you know, it's one thing in peacetime, <laughs> as they say, it's one thing when times are great to have, you know, the principles written on the wall, or, you know, or to kind of rally people around the values of the company. Um, it seems a bit like lip service sometimes uh, when things are going well. In trying times, that's what these values really exist for. They, they exist when the company is being challenged and they're really, when done well, a strength for company leaders to lean on and a rallying point for the for the teams and employees. And so to the extent that companies can have these great operating principles, values um, enumerated, but then during times of crisis, display how those exact same values are driving decision making and prioritization among the leadership teams, that can add a ton of strength um, for the teams and for employees and really underscores the commitment that the organization has to those values. Um, and I'll use an example of, of my company, of GH Smart. And one of the key values that, that we have is uh, in a phrase we say, who matters, which means, you know, the people matter, who's on our team matter, uh, the people matter above all, uh, having the right talent, having the right uh, team members and clients doing the right work. Like this is the key to our success as a company. It's really core to how we see ourselves and how we operate. And, and you know, that has significance uh, during, during normal operating times. Um, but when the crisis hit, uh, as, as you can imagine, with uncertainty all around, our firm leaders were quick to point out, you know, look, these are our values and according with our va- in accordance with our value of who matters, right? We're putting people above all. So we're going to they listed all of the sacrifices the company was going to make, the spending cuts, um, all of the all of the sacrifices they, that uh, they were laying out, so that the people of the firm were protected. So here, here's how we're going to cut well before we ever consider anyone might lose their job. And so that um, solidarity with the people of the firm, you know, sent an incredibly reaffirming message to the employees. You know, let all of the the team know. The company really has our best interest in mind here. This is the this is these are the wickets they're using to make decisions, um, and that you know that confidence and that reassurance really allowed people to focus on their work rather than you know swirling in their minds. You know, is my job in danger? How many weeks do I have? What am I going to do? Um, and so you know that's an example of leaning on the values, showing people how leaders are making decisions according to these values. Your final thought on this is listening skills, your final point. How's that different than communication skills? Yes. <laughs> um, 
communication is a great start, but of course, you know, one of the most crucial parts of it is to listen. So as I say, in sort of a military context, it's don't just transmit, also be ready to receive. Um, and so the sessions that I'm advocating that leaders have that, you know, where they, they weekly check in and give updates, carve out a big portion of that time to listen, to allow people um, on the team to raise their concerns, to raise issues. And what you'll find as a leader is that your team members who are much closer on the front lines to the daily operations, um, they'll come up with the blind spots that you're missing. <laughs> they'll see where the company's falling down um, in operation. And, and they, as well, often have the best solutions uh, in terms of steps that the company can take to address the uh, shortcomings that might be missed. Um, and, and my example here from my, my aircraft carrier days, um, during, during combat operations on the aircraft carrier, the commanding, the, the air wing commander, so the head commander of all of the airplanes that are on the ship, uh, flying combat missions every day, um, every evening at the end of combat operations, we'll gather all of the, pi uh, the pilots and we'll have the people that, that executed missions that day give a recap of, of their mission essentially from start to finish. And that, allows the commander to have the real frontline view of here's the situation that we saw. Also, here are some of the administrative hurdles we found. Here are some things in the process that aren't working well that we can fix real time. Uh, here's how we could be even better, you know, be more effective if we had this change or that change. And so not only is the airline commander listening and can make real time updates to the strategy and, and, um, uh, and the plan, and the operations, but as well, the other pilots in the room, maybe that didn't have a mission that day, are listening, and their situational, you know, awareness is heightened because they can hear their peers, what they're going through, how they're solving those problems, um, and it's just an incredible forum, um, you know, for learning and uh, and for informing um, leaders. And and then a, a, a related business example here that I think is relevant for many. Um, one of the businesses we worked with the. CEO, you know, was really on a roll at the beginning of the pandemic. He established his crisis response team. Um, he was sort of shifting to market demands, uh, feeling good about getting the workforce up and up and established uh, from their homes. And after a number of weeks, he actually finally took some time to take questions at at uh, at, a, at a forum rather than just sort of transmitting the plan. And someone bravely, you know, raised their hand and raised the challenge of being at home while their kids were out of school. So, you know, these are parents <laughs> that are working. I think we're very familiar with this now. Parents are working, the kids don't have daycare or school, and the challenges that many people in the company are facing for balancing those. Um, this was a total blind spot for this CEO. His children are grown in, in college and out of the house. Um, and so just a huge awakening for him in that moment, you know, and he was able to create effective policies to help parents uh, working from home kind of balance the schedule. A bit of an awareness of a huge issue that, if untreated, you know, could have seriously uh, degraded not only morale but productivity for many people in his workforce. And so, that you know, open ears mindset of let me hear how things are going is equally as important as projecting uh, messages to the team. Jeff, we're going to the, I'm going to say final, let's hope it's final stage of the pandemic, or at least the next stage of it. We've been doing it for a while. What are the challenges you think will come next? You know, the, the biggest challenge is the the return to the office. Um, 
what that looks like, of course. I mean, you have to keep safety of your team above all and um, uh, but balance that with business needs. And so the real challenge is going to be the hard calls of what does our business look like now? And so what are the lessons, you know, first of all, what's the environment? So what is the environment of the, of the virus and the pandemic? Where are we? Uh, what are likely ongoing impacts? Um, and, and then subsequently, it's really, you know, what's the best way to kind of optimize the team? Because, you know, different, again, different uh, individuals on the team will have different life circumstances that will allow some to return to work. Some people can't wait to get back in the office. Well, others, you know, children might still not be back to school. And um, how do we engage those people? And so, um, you know, these plans will have different variations and, and different ways of addressing those. Um, my, my guess is that the workforce will look different um, once we stabilize than it does today. And so adjusting to that, you know, and optimizing for a business and how it needs to run will be, will be one of the biggest challenges. But I can guarantee underlying all of that will be the communication challenge of, you know, how do I as a leader um, consistently and uniformly lead my team when it's more distributed than ever? So I have a core group in the office, but I have many people in important functions distributed in different areas at home. And so for leaders, I think the immediate challenge is going to be adjusting their style to allow them to, to lead in a new world. I mean, many of the many CEOs um, today have grown up in a workforce that just looked fundamentally different than what we have today. And so how agile people can be taking advantage of the of the uh, opportunities that are there in terms of allowing people to work a bit more flexibly and productively um, is going to be a big challenge for people. The interesting times ahead. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Jeff McLean is Senior Principal at GH Smart. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.